Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture, and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape, both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Vish's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Nick Zubek is a talented multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, and singer based in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Primarily raised in Toronto, Zubek has been an in-demand session and touring musician, working with the likes of Sandro Perry, Sunkill Moon, Roxanne Potvan, Grey Lake Swimmers, and Rich Burnett, among others. Over the past 20-odd years, Zubek has released some fine music of his own, including a wonderful and reflective new album called Echo Park, which was self-released on October 27th, 2023. As such, Nick and I connected recently for a lovely talk about things like uh, his new job, watching old sitcoms and Late Night with David Letterman with his late father, the fascinating trajectory of his parents and his family history, what it was like running a yoga studio in Guelph at one point, and his own relationship to such practices, remembering lost friends and their work, existentialism and a sense of self, upcoming live shows, other future plans, 
and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is my primary way of making a living doing this work. Is it the only way I make a living? No. Would I like it to be? Well, yeah. If you can support Creative Control on Patreon, I thank you profusely, and I hope you will click on the link in the show notes there and go to the Patreon page and check it out. There are some perks to becoming a, a member, uh, giveaways, things like that. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for considering supporting the show financially and for listening to it generally. I appreciate it. Plus, in-kind support from the likes of Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario. Hey, that's where Nick Zubek lives. And Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 832 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Nick Zubek with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Nick. How's it going? I'm good, Vish. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. It's nice to see you and speak with you after a long time of not uh, having done either, I'd say. Uh, where in the world are you there? I am in good old Guelph here in my studio on a gloomy, gray December 30th. Yeah, it's been unseasonably gloomy and gray as opposed to snowy and icy here in Edmonton, Alberta, which is known for being snowy and icy. Has it not been snowy and icy in Guelph either? Not at all. We had a little bit of snow at the beginning of December, but then ever since then, it's been kind of a rainy, gray December. You know, some people uh, love it. They love the uh, warm win- winter. Uh, yeah. I, I, I get the impression, based on some of the imagery on your record and uh, some other con- contextual information, uh, you are less uh, uh, overjoyed about the situation and more like, oh, yeah, this is happening. We have to deal with this. Is that a fair way of looking at it? You mean the weather in general? Yeah, 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 yeah. The state of the world, I would wow. say, and the way things are changing and, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, I would say if we can attribute this mildness to climate change, then I'm not too pleased about it. Yeah. But, uh, as a recent, uh, letter carrier, I've got a job as a letter carrier. It's actually that part is nice because I'm not out in, you know, minus 20 degree weather and slipping on ice everywhere. Yeah. That's, so, see, that's, that, I think that's, and I'm not shoveling snow with my intermittent back issues. Like everything's actually okay in that yeah. regard. However, yeah. big picture, you're like, uh, that's probably not the, and we can't go skiing and all that kind of stuff, you know, all the luxury exactly. yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of weird. Hey, uh, congrats on being a postal carrier. I want to ask you a little bit about that if you don't mind, because that's yeah, interesting sure. to me. But the mm-hmm. one thing I'll say right off the top here is, uh, uh, due to my uh, insistence on being on a channel, a cable t- television channel that has been doing a Cheers marathon, uh, mm-hmm. my daughter in particular, who hangs out with us the most, you know, I flipped Cheers is a weird show. It's basically all sexual harassment for like 25, like 20 minutes of the whole show is just people being sexually harassed. So that's bad. I didn't realize that. 
by Cliff Clavin. Yeah. Cliff Clavin. Oh, yeah. The ma- the Cliff, the mail carrier, Clifford C. Clavin, has become a bit of a family favorite because he's uh, quite an interesting uh, character, and he was a, a U.S. Postal Service employee, a mailman. Uh, did, did you get into uh, your field of work because of uh, the influence of uh, John Ratzen- Ratzenberger's creation, Cliff Clavin? You know, it's not, it's not, uh, imp- that could be possible subconsciously because I did watch a hell of a lot of Cheers. I used to watch it with my dad and, uh, that's very possible actually huh. that it was, it was in there somewhere inspired yeah, by it's good old Cliff. A, it's a, it's a little known fact that, uh, Cliff Clavin, <laughs> big influence on me. Yeah. That's he, yeah, it's a good character. You watched a lot of Cheers as well with your dad. You I said? did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. And I, now you're mentioning the sexual harassment thing. I can definitely now in hindsight, appreciate that because it basically just went from Sam sexually harassing Diane to Rebecca, right? It was just like... Yeah, but everyone, yeah. just constant... And I, I, I'm i saying, like, we're, I'm watching it and I'm trying to tune out the horrible stuff, uh, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's like, I grew up... I don't know, but when you watched it with your dad, it was in syndication. Like, it would be on when it was on Thursdays at 9 p.m., I think, was when the new episodes aired. Is that when you watched it? Rings a bell, but I... Yeah. Something like that. Think, you watched it yeah, when yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. because they, yeah, well, I, hearing. I would come home from school. I've talked about this before. And the block of television between like four and six was in retrospect, kind of weird. It would be like, uh, it would be like family ties and growing pains or whatever. And who's yep. the boss and these kinds of shows. But then it would yep. also, there was some part of that, uh, syndication block would be night court, the Simpsons. Yes. Yep. The Simpsons, night court and cheers. At like, and so yeah. my, my dad would walk in from a hard day at work and he'd see his, you know, no good son watching these shows about uh, people drinking in bars and, and talking freely about sex and sexuality and, uh, and then just prostitutes on night court all the time. Dan, yeah. Fiel- like my, <laughs> yeah. the people I came home to were like Dan Fielding, Sam Malone, you know, Bart yep. Simpson, for example. Like, so yeah, did you, perfect role models. It was kind of an, uh, I think I turned out the way I turned, well, I, I should say. I, I I realized it was fiction, but still, I I became sarcastic and really interested in comedy. Sure, Did yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Have Wait a in- second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that definitely. I used to come home from. I was a latchkey kid too. I used to come from home from school and just watch like three hours of straight sitcoms, sitting yes. there eating cook- cookies till my parents got home. <laughs> and uh, but some of the shows, like I remember, there was like Gilligan's Island in there. Oh yeah, somewhere. Yeah. So maybe I, I don't know. Are we close in age? I don't even know. I mean, we must be close, but I just turned forty six. Okay, I'm a little bit older than you. So the yeah. Simpsons thing came a little later for me. I'm I'm forty nine. I'm turning fifty in a month. Oh my goodness! Kind, Happy kind birthday! Of, yeah, this big is, one. Wow, fifty. It's coming. It's coming. They say yeah. it's they say it's a big one, but I don't know. Is it all blurring? Like, do you even notice it? I notice little things about my body i guess <laughs> like yes, just like oh that's yeah that's the main thing i'm noticing i mean that that i think post 45 i've started to notice that like more aches and pains and not not healing as quickly from injuries and stuff but overall yeah it's haven't been too um you know consumed by the thought of that number but it it has it has as it nears i'm getting more like holy shit i'm gonna be 50 like thinking about how old that seemed when i was a kid right and now i'm i'm there i feel like there's uh, just a lot of emphasis placed on these numbers but uh, i do think uh i don't know who i'm paraphrasing here i have to believe age ain't nothing but a number like you know what i mean like oh, i yeah. don't i just at a certain point i'm not other than the aches and pains which i've always had 
frankly. I don't know. I've always been yeah. a little sore and whatnot, but uh, I'm trying not to think about it. But did that exposure to sitcoms, three hours, like, yeah, it's probably the same as me. Yeah, two, I mean, three hours of just two, watching TV. three, yeah. Lots of commercials yeah. in there in between, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think that had an influence on you positively or negatively in the work you do now? Wow. I... I mean, it's hard to uh, relate them, but I suppose they did, and maybe some good, some bad. You know, some of the I think some of the quick sarcastic humor that we probably both ingested, yeah. you know, gave us maybe a bit of an edge in in the humor department, but uh, also could backfire too, right? It can, yeah. You have to be careful because there's no laugh track uh, backing you up on in the your real bomb world. of a joke or yeah, awkward, exactly. yeah. Yeah, and I also, I will say, I've been rewatching because uh, it's also on on the channel here, Family Ties. And, you know, I remember my English teacher in grade uh, 11 or 12, Mr. Schroeder, making fun of all these formulaic sitcoms and he lumped Family Ties in. By that time, I had watched it my whole life and I think it probably was done by the time he was making fun of it and uh, only available in syndication. That's a good show, too. I just think some of those shows are actually well done, well written. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh so I, I'm I think it is steeped within me, all these oh, shows. Yeah, yeah. Hours, yeah. hours at a very impressionable <laughs> age, right? Oh, different yeah. strokes too was another one. Remember that one? Oh yeah, that was yeah. a big one for me. And the facts of life, which spun off of different strokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I bring it up because uh one of the reasons I bring it up beyond the fact that we're just having a, a chat yes. is that in, in one of your songs, uh on this beautiful new album, uh Echo Park, one of the songs uh Labrador uh, one of the earliest verses is uh, that puzzles me, uh, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it here. I believe it's late night talk shows, NBC. Uh, is it another nickname for me? Is that the next line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? What What is that a reference to? I mean, that's that's a song about my dad, and um, that particular reference is, you know, to referring to watching shows with him, like Cheers, but also like Letterman and and late night stuff. And then the nickname Car- part, Car- Carson Sorry? probably Carson. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, Carson a little bit, but more more Letterman, I think. And, oh, okay. Um, and then the nickname part is just he used to refer to me by numerous different nicknames, as I would him as well. So it was like hmm. another nickname for me was referring to him giving me multiple nicknames throughout my childhood and adolescence. Are the they long- related related to the TV shows you watched? Not. Not particularly, no. That's just the lines happen to follow each other in the in the verse. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But there's also, like, right after that line, late night talk shows NBC, there's the little, I don't know if you caught it, but there's the little melodic NBC tagline played on guitar in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bum, bum, bum. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught that. So you're a real, I think you and I are similar students of pop culture. But your father's role in it, like I said earlier, my dad would come home and be like, what are you watching? Turn it off. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and and sometimes, you know, even in my mid to late teens, they would be upset if I was up late watching TV, even on a Friday night. And and they would say, turn it off. Or what are you doing? Uh, and uh, in retrospect, I always thought, your teenage child is home. You know, you know where they are. Like, what yes. are you complaining about? Yeah. But there's something about... The adultness of it all. It sounds like if you and your father were watching Late Night with David Letterman, that show came on at twelve thirty. Is that when you would I watch mean, it in real? Probably we would watch it. I'm like not definitely not when I was like you know in elementary school. Maybe maybe in high school. 
a little bit later high school once in a while, yeah. not every night either for sure. But yeah, no, it was more, it was more like the, the sort of pre dinner time sitcoms that we would watch. Well, especially right. cheers. We would watch together. So is humor, it sounds like it's obvious, but uh, humor was a big part of your family life, like a uh, consuming comedy and stuff. Uh, Mostly my dad and I, my mom wasn't so much a part of that, I would, I wouldn't say, but, um, he was a f- really funny guy. He was just like a real kind of wisecracker and, you know, bad dad joke, king of the bad dad jokes and puns and everything. And he had a really good sense of humor and, and a really good, um, gentle way of teasing me and others as well. And yeah, for sure. Mm. A lot of humor from him and, and we enjoyed a lot of like funny stuff together too, for sure. Nice. Do you have a sense of why you would be reflecting upon him and your experiences with him on a song like that one or other ones on this particular album? Well, I mean, he's he's been gone now for a long time. Like he died in uh, 2005, so long time ago. But sorry to hear that. Yeah, but he, you know, he. I don't really know why he came up now, but it's been kind of like a pattern for me to like write songs and music about loved ones that I've lost, which had quite a number of uh, throughout my kind of like earlier than a lot of people experience that I think with, with parents and, and siblings and stuff. But for now, I don't know. It was like, it was, he just kind of popped into my head. I started writing that tune. There's a little plaque that of his that I have that says Goose Bay Labrador on it because he was stationed in uh, the U S army in, in Labrador during the Korean war. He never like fought in the war, but he was just sort of a soldier at this port in uh, Labrador. And so I, I, I came across that little placard and maybe that kind of instigated the song a little bit. I worked on that song for a long time and it had many different iterations of words and then also the treatment of the, of the, inst- of the arrangement and stuff too, till I mm. arrived at the album version. So, I mean, I know you primarily as someone from Guelph. That's where we met. And, uh, I, I'm sorry. How long have you been in Guelph? And how long? I guess where I'm, 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 ro- I'm rooting around about your family history there. You mentioned Labrador. So I'm trying to figure out where your family is kind of from originally and where they settled, yeah. if you will, and, uh, how long you've been in Guelph. Can you speak to those things? Sure. Well, I should say first, I was thinking about it. And I actually remember the first time I met you and it, I don't remember the date, but it was probably early 2000s and it was, uh, Outside the Transac. Oh, in Toronto. And you had long, you had long hair and it was, I, I feel like maybe it was, I was playing with my friend Barzin. It was oh, yeah. a Barzin show in the front room of the Transac. And I just remember, I remember us meeting at that. I think I'm pretty sure that was our first meeting point. Oh. But at that time, that time I lived in Toronto and, uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Toronto and Etobicoke and moved to Guelph. I think it was. 2000 or sorry 2010 so it's been oh okay 13 13 years now in Guelph approximately and my parents my dad was from the states he was from Chicago and my mom was from Poland from from Warsaw actually and he he met her there and she already had two sons uh, from a previous relationship and he brought them all over to Chicago oh okay in uh, the the summer of 69 so it's a, it's a really fascinating Sort of like, and then I came along, you know, in 74, they were, my mom wasn't happy in Chicago and they, they visited Toronto at, uh, with, uh, during a trip to Niagara Falls and my mom really liked Toronto and basically convinced him to come up here. Hmm. And sorry, what was the circumstance for your father being in Poland? 
uh, to meet your mother. Well, he has Pol- he has Polish roots too. Uh, his dad was Polish and his mom was Russian, and he was on like a solo roots finding trip he, journey. Oh. He was look, looking for you know relatives in the south of Poland and stuff like that. And actually, it's really romantic. Uh, my mom was a a boat tour guide in Warsaw along the river there, and he was on the tour and. That's how they met, and oh. I don't know the the trajectory after that point, and but they eventually ended up in Chicago, and wow. I came along. Yeah, that's weird. He went yeah. to Poland to find family, or figure out his family, and then he started a family. Pretty much, yeah, huh. yeah, definitely. Wow, that's that's like out of a movie or something. That's amazing. All right, so so and then you ended up. Uh, I, I don't, I'm trying to, th- I, uh, Barzan, you mentioned earlier, uh, I mm-hmm. met, uh, I believe we were both probably university students at the University of Guelph in the mid nineties. And I think he went to school there. He was in Guelph for, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know the years, but yeah. Yeah. I think I was, I was there. I moved there around 96 and then started to hear his name a couple of years later and, and he would be playing shows. Uh, and then I think, uh, he moved to, Toronto, I believe, as well, at some point. Yeah. Is that where you met? Yeah. We met in Toronto, yes. uh, Early 2000s, I think. Yeah. 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 So then uh, that's an interesting connection. that, And you've, I mean, you know, you've played with a lot of mutual uh, friends of mine and and also with lots of different uh, musicians from uh, both Canada and and the States. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in your travels, how do you end up from, you know, everything you discussed, but growing up in Toronto, how do you end up in Guelph? Why would you end up in Guelph? Well, it's a kind of a long and winding tale as well. But uh, in a nutshell, my ex at that point was opening, wanted to open a yoga studio. And uh, we ended up looking around for places to do that in Toronto. And at the time, there was a poss- it was an option to do that in Guelph, and it was sort of between Guelph and Hamilton at that point. And I had, I had been to Guelph a couple times. I think once I played with like one of my very first bands at Jimmy Jazz way, way, way back in the day. But I, you know, other than that, and having like the impression that it was a, a kind of a interesting little spot with a lot of people doing creative things, I really had no idea. But oh. I, th- I had an instinct that I might prefer it to Hamilton, hmm. and then we—that's how we kind of ended up here. That was a big thing around that time, 2010. Um, that was when the—I uh, don't know if that was the earliest. Uh, probably isn't for there. Are probably pe- people paying more attention to it than I was at the time. But the housing market was so weird in Southern Ontario that, uh, uh, everyone was relocating to Hamilton. Uh, it was a big, yes. it was, it had a big city vibe, but the, uh, housing was more affordable than in, uh, Toronto. Uh, and then Guelph was kind of on the radar too, but it was, a, it's a university town as is Hamilton. So I think that jacks up the pricing on the housing as well. The property is very valuable or something. I don't know enough about this, but yeah, so you, I can't, yeah, you got, I can't figure that stuff out. No, I, I don't know either. I, I don't know if it's related to the university part, but sorry, I have a thing where my dad and my aunt, when I was a kid, they bought a house in Cambridge as a rental property, and mm. it didn't go well. Like the tenants were, every tenant they had bad luck with all their tenants, and they were jerks and whatever. Mm. But anyway, in retrospect, I was like, because my, in retrospect, myself and my younger sister both attended school in Guelph. We, if they had if they had chosen a university town to have their little rental property at the time, 
by the way, I'm not encouraging anyone to do this now. We all hate landlords. This is a big problem. <laughs> but in retrospect, if they had bought a house in Guelph, uh, we could have lived there and then taken care of it for them better than probably, you know, right. other students. And then it would have been an investment. We'd have, we'd all, sorry, it sounds crass and gross. I'm just saying, if you're going no, if, no. you, if you're going to do that, maybe pick a university town. Uh, if you can afford it. I mean, sorry, I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking to people right now, like 25, 30 years ago. I think that's what, what yeah, it was, that was different times, yes. very different yes. time for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you had the yeah, yoga yeah. studio, I believe it was on, uh, and I don't know if it's still there. It was on Norfolk, wasn't it? Norfolk street. It's no longer there. No. COVID crushed it. Oh no. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, it's so yeah, that building is now, I don't know actually what it's going to be, but it's some kind of, um, uh, like a food market, but I, I forget the, 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 uh, the background of the people who are going to open it, but some kind of like an African maybe food market or something, oh. which could be cool. Yeah. That might be good. You, I remember how hard you worked, uh, with your ex to get that place going and established. And I, I it was fairly popular, wasn't it? Yeah, it was doing pretty well. It was, it's, I mean, I, I don't think at the time either of us knew what we were getting into in terms of like running a business. Uh, so there was, a very steep learning curve that took, you know, that I don't think we ever quite got to the top of. And, uh, but, but it was a, it was a really nice space and it was a very, um, I think it was a very healing place for a lot of people in town, you know, and it had like, I was never really fully into the yoga community or the whole thing, but I, I liked doing it and I felt good doing it. And I think comparing it to like places that have yoga now that seem a little bit more like gymnasium, gym like. Yeah. It had a much more kind of like, um, I don't want to say spiritual, but like just a more calming, warm sort of, you know, aesthetic to it. Yeah. My wife and I did yoga with someone in Guelph for a while and she was great, but it did have all those stereotypes with the mystical music and the scents and all that kind of stuff and the whatever. And you're like, this is both amazing and corny at the same time. Is that your vibe? Is that why you were like keeping? Yeah. Yeah. I think you can go, it's like for me anyway, you can go too far in in that direction to, to, to new agey. And then you can go too far in the like pure, like uh, athletic gym kind of right. vibe. And I think, I think our, our place had, had a nice happy medium in there somewhere. Yeah. Did you guys do, yeah. uh, I, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong. I, for some reason, I associate your place, the place you had, with hot mm -hmm. yoga in particular. Is that It was new? hot yoga. Yeah. Yeah. It was part of the, uh, it was like what used to be called moksha yoga. And then yes. it, they changed the name to moto yoga. So it was, it was Gu moto yoga Guelph. Yeah. Hot. There was a heating panels on the ceiling that like got the room nice, hot, hot and sweaty. It yeah, wasn't for I, everyone. But. I don't think I had heard of that term, uh, or that idea until you guys moved in. Oh, really? I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention to it. The yoga I did wasn't hot yoga. We It was in a space on uh, Quebec Street, uh, up some stairs on a, like a, kind of like a loft space right. and uh, all this kind of thing. And it was, it was, it wasn't hot. And then I'd hear okay. about hot yoga and I don't like being too hot. So I just mm -hmm. never wanted, I, I would, I would find it suffocating to be purposely hot. So I never oh, did. Yeah. But you, they, people loved it, didn't they? People loved it. On um, like they had, there was a, a class on on Friday nights called the Karma class where you could just pay what what you could or whatever. And those classes were like jam packed, like yeah. And people would just be drenched. It was it was crazy. <laughs> there, like it, yeah. there is a uh, tranquility to some of your music, particularly this this record. And I I'm sorry, this is gonna sound like a clumsy segue, but the right. the meditative <laughs> nature of your music. 
uh, appeals uh-huh. to me. My wife was commenting on it today about how, how lovely and pleasant um, it was. So I gather if it's not hardcore yoga, this notion of meditation in your work, maybe is that, is that something that draws you into, uh, into working? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I do sort of gravitate towards, you know, slower meditative music in general, overall, I think music that I listen to and the music that I make and, uh, the, maybe the process of it is, is kind of a meditative experience. I, I find like working in the studio alone, especially can be a real, you know, I never think of it this way, but when I'm, when you kind of get into that flow, uh, and hours go by, it, it is kind of like a, a moving and working meditation for sure. I think altered states, like meditation is an interesting idea to me. I still haven't figured out how to do it properly where you just, sorry, can you do, how does, have you meditated? Do you meditate? I have. I don't too much anymore. I, sh- I would like to do it again more regularly but i did do uh one of those 10 day silent retreats back in oh geez probably 2018 hmm. where it was like a a 10 day uh vipassana meditation retreat oh, wow. which was actually quite it was very 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 transformative in in many ways and it was and it helped me a lot when i was going through some really hard things for sure and then after i did that i i kind of had a somewhat regular practice uh of doing that type of meditation but now i just look at my phone all the time <laughs> so the notion that I, uh, I i appreciate that i'm sorry you were having a hard time i'm glad it helped you it sounds like something you do and then you try to maintain its practice but you're saying you haven't been able to do that because of your telephone primarily. Sounds like it's very, <laughs> very distracting. But like when I hear a song like Seeing Double mm. uh, off your record and the sort of hypnotic quality to it uh, and also just the imagery of blurriness, I can't help but, I don't know, meditation to me is uh, my concept of it, I suppose, is trying to let go of things. Uh, and, and, and find that sort of peaceful trance-like state. Is that a cliche? Am I wrong about what you're supposed to do with that? With meditation, I mean? Well, I mean, my, my takeaway from the thing was more about realizing that you, uh, you know, you don't have any control of your thoughts. They just keep coming to you uh, relentlessly. And, but you can, you do have control over whether or not you pay attention to them. And, uh, that was sort of my takeaway lesson from, from that 10 day retreat. And, and even though I didn't sort of keep up the practice, I think that awareness can come back to me from time to time if I'm getting overwhelmed by whatever and, and lost in thought, I can kind of be reminded like, oh yeah, right. You don't have to do that. You don't have to identify with these thoughts. You don't have to be consumed by them. Right. Yeah. So in your practice as a musician and a songwriter and in what we've been talking about, you seem to be curious about your sense of self a little mm. bit, like what it means to be someone and, and what it means to objectively even look at oneself. Am I on the right track with that? Maybe. I mean, it's not something that I think about too much in terms of when I sit down to to work on something. I I don't think I'm consciously thinking about, you know, writing about myself or my perception of myself or those types of things. But I, I find that my 
I don't know, the, the words always kind of end up coming out in that, you know, I, it's a real fine line because sometimes I don't like words that are too, too philosophical or too like, uh, definitely too preachy, like that kind of thing. I, I don't, I don't like, and it's easy to do, uh, and I've done it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't, I don't like when it comes out that way, but more about like, yeah, this sort of introspection and, and just, turning things around and looking at them from different angles and, you know, as opposed to maybe telling a story, maybe that's what, what I'm doing sometimes. Well, what I'm picking up on, and I, I'm going to generalize a little bit. I mean, I can ask you about specific songs. Hmm. There's this existentialism thing that I'm picking up on, on the lyrics on this record, life and death, uh, time you know, temporality. What does it mean? What are we doing? Like, it does have a philosophical, whatever. I'm using stupid terms that I don't know enough about, probably. Sorry. I've made fun of the terms no. there when I really should be making fun of myself. I don't think I'm bright enough to know what philosophy actually means, but there, there are existential notions that seem to run through this record. And I wonder if you're in a state of mind about, about yourself, not just yourself. Sorry. When I say sense of self, mm-hmm. I don't mean Nick's just talking about himself. Vish just talking about himself. I mean, like, who are we? What are we doing? Like, we're at a really pivotal point, uh, I think, in time where a lot of us are wondering what the hell we've been doing to contribute to this point we're at now as a civilization. How did we get here? What are we doing? Where are we going to go now that there's this sort of creeping uncertainty all the time? Uh, existential angst is it's not unusual for people every day to to experience that and talk about yeah. it more generally. Um then I, I can't recall a time where everyone's like making jokes, like hurry comet, like from a, a year or two ago, like there were all these like comets heading towards earth and like people actually like, okay, oceans, whatever, do your worst. Like we're done. Like there's this weird, sad, and yet there's joy too. Like, like we can fix this. We can, there's hope. Anyway, I'm sorry. My point is, do you feel like there's some existentialism uh, running through uh, the lyrics on this particular record? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever set out to to write anything that was very uh, directly topical about the particular existential threats we're facing right now. I think I always kind of had that little bit of a bent of like wondering, you know, asking myself questions about like, you know, what are what are we doing here? Like, what you know, more, uh, yeah, I guess philosophical questions about existence and. Uh, you know, I think I still kind of can inhabit the space of being completely bewildered at being alive at all. And, and, and I think, you know, overall, for me, that's always been a good space to return to because even though it can be confusing, I think it comes with a sense of wonder and curiosity and, and, a, and a weirdly a kind of, for me anyways, a grounding thing that I can return to, to remind me that, I'm lucky to be here at all, you know, and, but then, yeah, tied in with that, there's obviously lots of stuff to worry about. The, I think that's the song, The Elephants kind of turned out to be a little bit more of a, maybe more of a direct kind of like, um, almost like a parable of climate change, like elephants speaking to us. So like, you guys, you know, I better figure this stuff out or, you know, we, you won't be around. They won't be around either, I guess, but. Yeah, it's that based. I was I was listening to that song and I was pondering what you're singing about because mm-hmm. I rode elephants when I was in India mm-hmm. in 1989. You had to ride them up to the we we would go see these forts, these 
you know, the, what do they call it? You know, the forts. You know what I mean by that? The forts? I think like so, yeah. The, you know, like the military forts, like oh, the, okay. yeah, yeah. the ancient forts, you know, those sorts of things. So they would, uh, yeah, we rode elephants. Uh, so I'm 11, 12 years old, 13, whatever I was. Yeah. 11 or 12. I was almost 12. Anyway, we were riding these elephants and you're just like, okay, I'm on an elephant. In the, in the story of the song or the narrative of this song, uh, as I recall, and I don't have it in front of me, sorry. People are pondering what it means to be atop of elephants and use them as transport. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, but that's, that actually came from the song started. I was on a camping trip, uh, up in the French river and it was a backcountry, like paddling canoe trip with my son and my good buddy, Rich Burnett, who I'm sure you know. Oh yeah. And his Rich, two, yeah. yeah. And his two sons. And I had looked at the map, like uh, the canoe route map and there was a little, kind of spot like a little peninsula on the map that was labeled the elephants and so i was like that sounds cool and we headed for that and and it was like one of the most spectacular beautiful places i've ever i've ever been and we spent a few days there and uh so i actually came up with the, the that riff for that tune sitting there on a crappy camping guitar and then the song kind of grew from there. So the first line is, we spent one last night upon the elephants. So I'm literally talking oh, about okay. being on that spot. But I, I like the fact that it can be read as, you know, I see. riding elephants, <laughs> whatever. Right? I read it too literally, I suppose. I didn't that, clue into That's that. okay. But, I, I, that's what I like is like, I like when things can be, you know, I think an intentionally leave it uh, open to interpretation. Yeah. You mentioned uh, your, 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 how many children do you have? Sorry. Just one. That's fine. You don't have to feel He's, bad about that. No, one I don't. Good. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you have a, a, a child. And when I ponder songs like uh, Time Machine, I just want to home in on something that caught my attention here. And I don't know if this is about being a parent or thinking about the future, but here's the um, chorus, I believe, of the song. Show me, show me how this is better now. So much I can't see. Tell me, tell me now, who comes after you? Who comes after me? Now, this could be about any relationship, I would think. But the who comes after me thing as a parent, I mean, again, this could totally be about romantic relationships. And I, I ask you to tell us more about uh, the context for this song. But this notion, again, of, again, this, I'm, 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 I'm accusing you, Nick, of, having existential feelings, and yet I think I'm the one who's got them. Uh, but this notion of, like, history, where we stand, who comes after us, these are questions young people are starting to ask people of your vintage and uh, and mine and, and those older than us. What are you doing? What are you leaving behind for us right now? You're not doing a good enough job. We're going to take matters into our own hands as best we can because you clearly don't give a shit. And so... I can't help but th when I hear uh, you, uh, these lyrics, I, I can't help but think of lots of different things. Uh, can you tell us more about that song and, and maybe comment on where my, my, I guess where my interpretation took me when I listened to Time Machine? Yeah, oh, that's amazing. I'm so I'm so glad you you heard all that in it. I think the song definitely started from thinking about a, a romantic relationship ending, but. Every time that happens to me, if I'm writing a song, I very quickly try to steer it away from that because I, I, I feel like I've done it enough and, and, and many people have done it enough and yeah. I'm not sure, you know, I, I, there's anything to add to, well, not that there's not anything to add to that. There can be still beautiful, heartbreaking love songs for sure. I don't, I don't think, uh, 
we need to stop writing them. But I definitely, with this one, was trying to get it out of that territory. And I think I did start to think about it in a more broad scope of, yeah, individual familial relationships, children coming after parents, but then again, also relating it to that more like broad human civilization thing and thinking about future people looking back with dismay at our foolishness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also just about the sort of like futile struggle we have with, uh, you know, time running out and always sort of watching the clock in, in, you know, on a smaller scale and a bigger scale and, and the sort of, yeah, futile fight against that. You mentioned that your, your father and your mother met because he was on a kind of ancestral excavation of some kind. That's a big thing now. Uh, I mean, that has been a big thing for some years. I can't remember all the names of all these, whatever, so-called genealogical site, oh, yeah, yeah. websites and whatnot. But um, that song and others on this record also, when I say existential, I don't just mean like, are we all going to die? I mean, like, where do I come from? Why am I here? Kinds of questions seem to be percolating among people. And they have prior to this current moment in time. Do you share that, this feeling of like, you know, what are my origins? Uh, what does it mean? What will my, what will this mean for my children that my family was a certain way? Do you, do you have those kinds of thoughts? A little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't tend to dig too far back in my own past. I'm curious about it. I would like to, but I just haven't really gone there. And I, I don't have like, there's not, I don't have a lot of uh, living relatives to tell me stories about their parents and things like that. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a blurry, uh, thing looking back, but I, de- I definitely think about my son and, you know, the world he's going to live in when I'm gone. And if he has kids, like what that's going to look like, you know, yeah. try not to be too pessimistic about it, but definitely there's some concerns there. Yeah. And I think when you're, when we talk about legacy, again, a song like True Light, uh, comes to mind as well. There's some, I, mean, I have some lines here that I wanted to mention to you. Silent now, you're still heard. Every song you played, every single word, dissolving in waves and light embracing us. That's a really beautiful set of lyrics, first of all. Oh, thanks. But it, but it, it makes me, and there's, I think some, when I hear waves in my world, that means, that can mean, you know, waves of emotion, sound waves, like literally we're using a, you know, digital mm-hmm. software, I, a waves, you know, I just, uh, that's the word has a double, it's a homonym for so many reasons now. But um, this notion of making things, creating things that will outlive us, mm. ideally, you know, maybe they'll be obscure to some. Was that on your mind at all? Like what you leave behind as a creative person? Yeah, but I think that particularly that song was actually start again, it started in one place and then kind of broadened out to to be more general. But the place that that song started, and I think that particular line that you quoted was actually about my my late friend, uh, Justin Haynes. Yeah. Did you know Justin? I did. Yeah. I knew Justin pretty well. We, um, you mentioned the Transac in Toronto earlier. And he was frequently there. He would come down for the Guelph Jazz Festival. Yep. We were social media friends. Yep. He was a lovely guy, but had troubles and would become very antagonistic uh, yes. sometimes. And, yep. uh, but very funny as well. Like when we interacted, very funny. 
person. It was good, but he, he developed this kind of, um, I didn't think too much on it, uh, at the time, but yeah, he would sometimes just antagonize and troll oh, me yeah. and, and others on Facebook. And I, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And then sadly, he, how long he passed away, uh, some years yeah. ago. Yeah. I think it was 2018 as oh, well. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'd have to look that up actually. It's been, it's been a while now, but you knew him, you knew him very well. He, I mean, I knew him like he played on an early record of mine to, from 2006. Uh, he came in and did some wild stuff. At, uh, we recorded at, uh, Canterbury studios in Toronto. And I had like a core band with, with a few of my friends that we'd really work these songs out. And I thought of him, I can't remember where I first met him. Oh, I remember I first met him when I was, um, I was managing the paradise cinema in Toronto at Bloor and, uh, Dover court. And he was, uh, partners with one of the employees there at the time. So he would come to the paradise regularly. That's how I first met him. And then I got him to play on that record and he just came in like, and just played this crazy, crazy wild stuff that, that really, uh, level He's a guitar player for the really great guitar, player. really great guitar player. Yeah. And, and kind yeah. of had a weird, he had a really love hate relationship with the guitar in general too. I think it, he felt like it limited him in some ways or he just, yeah, he, but he was amazing. He, he could, he could really play that thing like nobody else. And yeah, so we, we were close, but not super close over the years. We kind of came in and out of contact. Uh, the last time I saw him, I actually had a guitar lesson from him, which he very reluctantly agreed to. And, uh, we pretty much just sat there and, and drank and chatted and he showed me a couple, actually he showed me a couple of technical exercises that I still use as warm ups to this day, which is kind of a nice way to remember him. Oh, nice. But anyways, yeah, that song came from, from its roots. I was thinking about Justin and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to say, but that's where it went. And, and I think by the end of it, I, I wasn't thinking about him anymore that directly, but it definitely inspired by him. I picked up on that. He's one of the people, one of at least two people, I believe, that you dedicated the record to. Is that correct? Yeah. The other one is another good, great musician friend of mine named Adam Balsam, who passed away, uh, a few years ago, very, very suddenly and, and unexpectedly. And yeah, that guy was amazing. He was such a great guy, amazing drummer. And yeah, just, just thinking about those two guys a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Making this record. I'm sorry for your losses. I'm sorry for your losses. I, pick up on the stuff obviously in the in the way I'm reading this record uh because mm. I think as much as you can identify particular songs uh I'm sure their presence and and those feelings about others are dotted throughout this record we've talked about your father we've talked about Justin Adam like it's it seems like loss was on your mind and and paying tribute yeah, I think, I think more than just loss, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want to be a downer and get lost in the grief, but more about remembering those people. Yeah. And, and when you, we spoke about legacy, you know, not just my own, but like having things to, to remember other people by as well, creating yeah. things to, to kind of preserve those, those people as well in some ways, right? Yeah. The title track seems more like a narrative of some kind. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about your experience experiences living in places other than the ones we've talked about but you the song i echo park i think of california uh los angeles area uh that's what that song is inspired by 
Yeah, uh, I did. So that's another long story that I won't get into right now, but it was, uh, from, from years and years of touring and, and sort of meeting people in various parts of the world and then, you know, connecting and then reconnecting. There was, uh, a story there that definitely is rooted in Los Angeles. And that song came about when I was on a Sunkill Moon tour and, and we, we were in LA and I was thinking about, those experiences and that particular person. And I remember going on a long walk through LA. I think we were staying in Koreatown uh, at the Hotel Normandy where Malcolm Lowry apparently wrote Under the Volcano. So all those things came came into the song lyrics. And I just started walking and kind of did this huge, huge loop. Like I think I walked about 12K and just walked through various neighborhoods of LA and you know, got a glimpse of different places that, you know, I, at least I felt weren't the things I, places and, and, and things I would normally associate with LA. And, and then I was, yeah, that song actually was, that, that is a different one. I wish I could write more songs like that because it came out real fast and the, the words kind of came almost simultaneously with the music. And I, I really am, am proud of the way that one turned out. Hmm. And do you have a handle on how or why that happened? It just happened. I have no idea. Yeah. It's, uh, that's a, that's one of those mysteries, you know, like I don't think I was trying to do that. And I certainly don't think if I tried now that anything good would come of it. <laughs> it's sort of like you have to, I don't know what that is. That's for the most part when I'm writing tunes, it's mostly, it's usually music first and then, and then words after, but that, that one was a was an anomaly, and the words kind of came as I was writing the chords and yeah. Yeah. noodling on the guitar. Yeah, you're not the first person to say I don't know when I ask sort of where something came from. It's it's not unusual, so I appreciate that. But but in terms of the um, approach you took to making the music on this record, I understand it is a it was a slight departure for you. I mean, literally you. I believe you got rid of some gear and, and, and got new gear and were experimenting uh, in ways that maybe, you, you know, things you, uh, you employed methods that you hadn't before. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say that I was it was a it was a pandemic album. It was sort of like, I think, June of 2020, where I realized we weren't going to be going anywhere for a while and had all this time. And in that way, you know, that stuff that was a blessing because uh, I could I had could afford the time to like really learn some new stuff and, and experiment a lot. And I think that's what I set out to do. I had, I had these songs or some of them anyways, by that time. And they were all like based in the guitar and a lot of like finger style playing. And I really wanted to, um, see if I could get away from that just, just for fun, just to see what else I could do with them rather than just recording myself playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So I, so I fooled around a lot with that. Like the song, that song Seeing Double was originally written on the guitar as a fingerstyle guitar thing. And I really kind of got in there and figured out what all of the different components of the fingerstyle pattern were and, and like assigned them to different instruments. Like I got a couple of cool old synths that I never really had before and, and drum machines. And I never, yeah, usually I'd been working with more acoustic instruments before or electric guitars. And so it was the first time I was kind of delving into that territory and just, yeah, just trying things and and, and, you know, that to me, I love that, like having just the time and 
the tools to sort of be able to explore and, and stumble upon things that, you know, you never would have if you just stuck a mic in front of your guitar. Yeah. So you did mostly everything yourself, but then you brought some people in to, to help. Is that fair? Yep. Didn't literally bring them in because it was still COVID times, but I (laughs) did, uh, you know, that was another amazing thing is to be able to do that stuff remotely now. And yeah, I got some, I mean, I think I worked a little bit in person with, uh, with Thomas Hammerton, the wonderful keyboard uh, player here in Guelph. But other than that, yeah, it was, it was, uh, shooting people emails, asking if they would be interested and then sending them the music and, and being, Really, really flattered and and pleased with the way all the all of those guests turned out on the record. They did amazing yeah, things. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a beautiful sounding record. I will say, like it, mm. it sounds fully realized and all those sorts of things. So, I want to congratulate you on that. Do you feel like anything in particular about this experience making this record, the way you did, um, the thoughts you had in terms of uh, lyrics, the way you wrote? The actual practice of sitting down and writing lyrics. Do you think any of that's going to inform what comes next for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everything kind of builds on the last thing, and I'm, you know, I I'm been in out of the uh, the the recording phase now for a while, and trying to get back into writing. I am working on some new new writing stuff, but um, trying to focus now on getting back out and playing again. So I got I had a couple shows in the fall. And I got an album release at the end of January here in Guelph and then one in Toronto at the beginning of February. So I'm really focused right now on figuring out how to do this stuff live and, and actually getting uh, assembling the band and getting rehearsals and stuff like that all together. Yeah. yeah. But, but you yeah. already have you have a new song already. Is that right? I have a new, I have a recording of a song that was supposed to be on the album. And actually, uh, our mutual friend, Sandro Perry convinced me that, uh, it didn't really fit with the rest of them. It was, uh, he, he did some, uh, what the kids are calling stem mixing on this mm-hmm. record. So I, so I mixed the whole thing here myself and then sent him groups of things. And he, he kind of like put it through all his amazing stuff and, put the the magical Sandro touch on it and but it, during that time this particular song called Odessa was going to be part of the record and he was like this one doesn't fit you should save this one for later which is oh. what I've done so now I have that one sort of sitting in the can and uh another kind of song that th- this one is there's some singing in it but it's primarily instrumental and then I have another one which is very similar it just has a little bit of singing and I'm hoping that uh my friends Joyful Joyful will do the the singing part of that. Oh, um, great. Yeah. So I'm hoping to get that done and release it as like a, like a double single. I don't know. What do you call that when it's just like one song and another song? A just and a B single. Side. It's a single. It's yeah. A single it, with two songs, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Are, is any of this uh, currently in any kind of physical form? No, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was really debating whether or not to make vinyl CDs. I don't even know. Like, I guess some, people are still making CDs and there's a bit of a resurgence for or interest in them, but no, I didn't make anything. I just saw mm-hmm. all digital. It's all on Bandcamp, and it's on all the streaming services, hmm. but okay. maybe, no. you know, if, if people I've had, have had a few requests for vinyl, but uh, I don't think I've had enough yet to make it worth actually going through that. I uh, hope uh, someone who has the means listening to this uh, will uh, potentially help you with that, <laughs> a label oh, or something. It's such a, such a beautiful album, and uh, I can see it 
uh, I can see people. It's it's one of these records you have to kind of sit down with. It has a calming sort of feeling. I could I can picture myself just sitting. I have done it digitally, where I've just sat mm-hmm. and I've listened to it and I've really enjoyed it. But I I just hope someone with some dough and some vision uh, says, you know what, I, I want to pick this record up because you've released it completely independently. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a little friend, a uh, little help from my friend out in Taiwan, Leo Shaw. He he's originally from Saskatoon, but moved out to Taiwan a while back, and he he helped me through his he has like a distribution digital distribution company that he works with. So he kind of like allowed me to like pony up through his thing to put it out there that way rather than going through yeah. CD Baby, which is what I've done in the past. But yes, it's basically independent release. All right. Well, like I say, I'm putting the word out here. People Thanks, say someone, I appreciate someone the label that. or whatever should get behind this thing and, and invest some time and energy into it because it's really wonderful. And you heard Nick say he wants to tour. So come on, man. Is that, I don't know who I'm talking to right now. I No one specific. Hey. Some nebulous as a label person, but I feel like uh, this warrants uh, a pressing. So uh, it's great. And I, I, I want to congratulate you on it again. I alluded to the fact that, um, well, actually, I guess I already asked you and you already answered. Normally at this point, I'd say like, what's next? It sounds like you're mostly focused on your live shows and are pondering what the next batch of songs might be like. Um, yeah. Not, spring, not springboarding from Odessa. I sorry, I chronologically I'm like, oh Odessa, it must be a brand new song. But you're saying that stems from that session. So you're not yet in the mind frame time. Yeah, you're not yet writing new songs, is what I'm getting at. Well, I am. Way. I am. Yeah. I I do have a couple in the works, some half finished, and I I am thinking about it already. I would love to make another record, and yeah, uh, the the way I'm thinking about it is that I would like to do everything that I didn't do this time, which is like have a band in a room, hmm. have a bunch of time to arrange and rehearse and not be concerned with engineering myself or mixing myself and just really, you know, have that kind of experience with it. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I'm hoping for, but we'll see if I can make it happen down the road. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and your work, Nick, uh, using their, uh, the internet, where would you like to send them? Well, uh, my Bandcamp page, Nick Zubek Bandcamp, is uh, basically has everything that I've recorded on there. Um, yeah. I've got a website, nickzubek.com. Um, I'm fairly active on Instagram, and that's, yeah, those are the three places online, okay. I would say. Yeah. Okay, great. And people can uh, uh, pick up the record on Bandcamp, obviously, and, and find it on those streaming services, so that's great. Uh, if we can go out, oh, and you've got these tour dates coming up as well. So by the time people hear this, depending on when they hear this, they can go see you live. <laughs> yes. January yeah. 27th in Guelph and February 3rd in Toronto at the Transac. Great. Awesome. Now, if uh, we can go out on a song, either from Echo Park or potentially a song that uh, Sandra Perry deemed uh, unworthy of the album right. uh, at the time. All right. He said it didn't fit. I'm putting, I'm being silly. I'm sorry. Uh, wh- what would you like to go out on uh, for the, for the people? And uh, if you can pick something, that would be great. And also, can you tell us why it came to mind? Sure. Uh, well, let, yeah, let's go out with Echo Park, the title track. I feel like it's, uh, like I said, it's a, a bit of a, 
a bit of an outlier on the album, even though it is the title track, but, uh, just a nice, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm really happy with the, with the writing of that one and all the contributions. There's Josh Cole playing, uh, fretless bass and Tom doing some great key stuff. Michael Davidson playing vibraphone. So sort of, I think that's the most on the album. It's the, the one with the most guests on the, on the track itself. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. It's a nice little community minded selection, uh, as well. <laughs> it's an anomaly, yeah. but it's, uh, also telling of where the record, uh, uh, we'll take people. So yeah, here it is. This is the title track from this beautiful new album, uh, Echo Park. Uh, Nick, always, uh, nice to chat with you. This is the first time I think we've ever done a, a formal interview. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed it and, uh, I hope we speak again soon and, and best of luck in the future. I did. Thank you so much, Bisha. I really appreciate it. Take care.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just pondering the introduction I did for this show, and I listed all these Guelph businesses that uh, provide support for the show, and I mentioned Planet Bean Coffee at the end, and I said, that's where Nick lives. I don't. I just want to clarify. That's not where Nick does not live at Planet Bean Coffee. He lives in Guelph. I, I think I misspoke. He, I mean, he could. As far as I know, he doesn't. Anyway, thank you once again, Nick Zubek, for appearing on this, the 832nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available almost everywhere you get your podcasts. If you can't uh, locate an episode you're looking for on one of your favorite uh, podcast platforms, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on various social media platforms or follow it. Uh, There is a a link there. It says, what does it say? It's like follow Vish online or something. Uh, That takes you to a link, link tree, and then you can follow me on various things like blue sky and threads and twitter and facebook and and whatnot if you're so inclined so please click on that also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to support this show six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content you get episodes earlier than everybody else we are starting to give things away once a month at least at the ten dollar level so uh, that's a, by the way, these are all American prices. That's how my Patreon set up, and I have to. I don't know. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm in Canada. That's why this. That's weird. But anyway, any support you can provide is obviously welcome. It uh, it makes this more of a living. And as I mentioned earlier on the, the the show, I'd like this to be my living, but it's not uh, working out that way so far. But it's it's just been very encouraging. We did a little push uh, at the end of 2023 there, and. Uh, Man, went up quite a bit. So I feel like it's possible. I just got to spread the word. And I know people like you listening uh, do care about this show and and probably care about me a little bit too. So if you can, thank you. Just go to the Patreon. I said thank you preemptively. You know what I mean. If you can support the show, I thank you and thank you. That's all. I'm just going to keep saying thanks. Patreon.com slash creative control for more information about how to support this show. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario. Guelph, Ontario is where Nick Zubek lives. He doesn't live in any of those businesses, as far as I know. Also want to thank Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, all of whom provide in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my dear friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music for the show. You can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Nick Zubek. I hope you will check out his new album, Echo Park. It's wonderful. 
And I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast or follow it and tell your friends to do the same. I will talk to you very soon. Be well. And once again, thank you. Bye for now.